Okay, we're live. Hold on. Okay, Steve. So right before I hit record, <laughs> I was telling you about my art pieces right behind me. And, yes. and, I'll, and I'll give you an introduction in just a second. But you okay. just said something and I need to know what you just said. You said, ask me about my illegal border crossing from Ecuador to Colombia. So <laughs> let's just jump in. All right. Let's sure. do it. Yeah. How did you, how did you <laughs> Usually people sneak out. That was what I well, did. You were going well, the other way. We spent, I spent uh, the summer of 2014, my wife and I and our kids spent the summer in Ecuador and we were in Quito, Ecuador, and we spent a lot of time traveling around Ecuador, but I really wanted to go to Colombia. I'd never been to Colombia before. So, you know, we looked it up and you drive about four hours north and there's a border crossing from Ecuador into Colombia, but all the guidebooks say, you know, it's the most dangerous crossing in the world. Don't go there, drug cartels, all this stuff. And we're like, well, that sounds like fun. Let's try it. <laughs> during the day. But when we got there at the border, it was just a mile long line to go through the, whatever you do, the passport thing, you know, and customs. Yes. Yeah. And it was, it was essentially a parking lot. So the taxi driver in Ecuador drove us to the border, dropped us off. And then the idea is you get in another taxi on the other side and go, but it was just a big open parking lot. There wasn't a fence. There wasn't like cordoned off lines. And after about standing in line for about 15, 20 minutes, I'm like, I wonder what would happen if we just like walked over there and got a taxi and just kind of skipped the passport line. <laughs> and so we did. So it's, you know, it's my wife and I are kids and they're, they're, they were smaller at the time. And so we get on the other side, get in a taxi. I'm like, well, that just saved us about two hours. And we get about five miles up the road. We're going to this little town called Ipiales. And we get pulled over by a cop and I'm like, Oh no. But all he wanted, all the, all the police officer wanted to see was the taxi driver's papers. He didn't check our passports, nothing. And we were on our way. And that's how we got into Columbia without <laughs> going through the passport yeah. channels. So Piales, I've heard oh, is beautiful. Yeah. I've never been myself, but I've heard really it, good things. It, it, it is. It's this really cool. It's they've got this cathedral. That's like 150 years old. That was essentially built in a Canyon. So it's like this canyon, if you can imagine like a miniature version of the Grand Canyon, but it's a canyon. And at the bottom inside the canyon is this cathedral. So you're like on these mountains and you walk way down to get to the cathedral. And it's just, it's an amazing place if you ever get there. I'm going to have to get down there. I love, I love yeah, it. Every yeah. time I go back to Columbia, I'm like, ah, oh, this is so cool. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So hold on. Let me introduce you because we got to let it, let the people know who we have. <laughs> so today, guys, we have Steve Roller on the show. Uh, Steve is a sixth summer bookman from 1986 to 1990, and then one rando year in 1993, which I'm sure we're going to hear a little bit more about. Uh, Steve is the author of the Freelancer Manifesto, 11 Big Ideas to Stand Out and Thrive, and he runs a popular Facebook group called the Copywriter Cafe with over 11,000 members and is the founder of the Cafe Backroom Community. Originally from Wisconsin, he and his wife spent the last three years living in a 300-year-old house in Connecticut great territory i sold in connecticut mm. and now they're on to new adventures in georgia the state not the country today he helps solo practitioners navigate uncharted waters and finding a clear path forward in business and in life i love talking to people who are doing this in the world right now because i always learn something I feel like i'm gonna have my notes out just 
<laughs> it'll be a one-on-one session. Um, so Steve, so his, your favorite squirrel number two, I will greet this day with love in my heart. So originally the power division and of course, the university of Wisconsin, Madison, welcome to the show. Welcome to the ponytails podcast. Thanks for being hey, here. Yeah. Thank you, man. I've been looking forward to this for months. I first heard about this, I don't know, maybe a year ago. I watched some episodes then I knew a few people that came on and they're like, Hey, it was fun. Andres is great. And so a couple months ago, I, you know, applied to be on and thanks. Thanks for having yeah. me. <laughs> By the way, if you guys are listening and you don't know, like, it, it, cause people always ask, how do you find people? Well, it's either like this where people find us and then they just, mm. you know, submit a form. If you want the form guys, just uh, message us on Instagram or uh, be sure to just email us at admin at the ponytails, the ponytails podcast.com admin, or you can say guests or you can, or uh, also knock dot knock at the ponytails podcast, any of those. And you can message us and inquire how to be on the show. We'll send you the link for that. We've never actually mentioned that ever in the air. I don't think so. It's the first time. Thanks for letting us. Thanks for Yeah. All right. Um, And right before we jump in um, real quick word from some of our friends here on the show. Um, We are brought to you today by Enlight Energy. Um, I don't know if you, do you, did you ever, you sold in like the, early 90s so you might not have met julio hernandez but he's a former dealer yeah. who sold late 90s early 2000s um and he's now currently running uh, and energy which is a solar company and they are crushing it especially if you guys are in florida texas or any of the sunny states or if you guys are open to starting a new place and trying a new career in solar uh, these guys are doing it very very well and are making pretty solid ground all over florida it, it's they're actually pretty well known now it's exciting to see a bookman kind of just take off there's a lot of book people that work with them as well so if you guys want more information on how to do that reach out to us um they are much more fun to work with than whatever that crappy solar company is whatever insert name here. Uh, so on that note all right let me ask you how did you let, let's go back when the clocks and, and kind of fill in some of the highlights since you left the book field and to yeah. kind of what, how you ended up doing what you're doing now. Cause this sounds really cool. Copywriter stuff. Uh, you have a big old Facebook group, the copywriter cafe. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to learn a little bit about how about you got into that point into, and also the freelancer manifesto. So tell me kind of like catch me up on like what's been happening. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you kind of the short version to start with. Um, yeah. So when I got out of uh, selling books, well, I'll, I'll kind of come back to the two year gap story later, Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I had a first job out of school and, and uh, then I came back to sell books a couple of years later. But after that, then I went to work for, um, in 1994, I went to work for Great American Opportunities, which was a sister company of Southwestern. And it kind of felt, it kind of felt cool to stay in the family and be in the family. And um, so, and I did that into the early 2000s. That was a great company, great career, uh, fundraising consultant, working with schools, principals, yeah. teachers, things like this. It was a great job, a great sales job. I made good money. I liked it because the um, the same atmosphere from Southwestern was still there and the same kind of sense of camaraderie was there. Great management, great people. And I continued winning incentive trips, which I had got, kind of gotten used to from, <laughs> you know, selling books. So Great American had the same thing. My wife and I went to Puerto Rico. We went to Hawaii and just, and uh, so had a lot of fun trips. Um, but in the early 2000s, I started, um, well, a couple things. I, 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 I enjoyed sales. I was good at it. I could have continued and I, I, and I've been in sales in some way since then, but, um, 
the structure and the schedule was a little bit too limiting for my taste. So if you remember the dot-com bubble in the end of the 90s and then the early 2000s, everyone's like starting their own business and these things. I was reading Michael Gerber's The E-Myth book and uh, The Clue Train Manifesto, if you ever read that book in the early 2000s. Um, but everybody was talking about running their own business, doing their own thing and this newfangled thing, the internet that everybody's running online businesses. And I thought, I'm in this old school fundraising consultant business. I'm like, I don't know where this is going. You know, I want to do something exciting. I want to do something online. But but more than that, I wanted to, my kids were small at the time. And uh, so I was newly married, small kids. Um, by 2003, we had four kids. Um, age six, seven and under. So oh my God. I, so I wanted to, and it was fun, but I was two things. One, personally, I wanted to travel more and I knew with my sales schedule and the structure of corporate sales and national sales meetings once a year and quarterly meetings and all this stuff. And, and just, you have to, you have to hit your quotas and do it on their terms that I was never going to have large blocks of time to take vacations and I'll come back to this later, but I had spent three months in Europe when I was younger, just traveling all over. And I'm like, that kind of, that kind of spoiled me for life. Like I'm like, I could never again do a job where I once in a while might not have a three block chunk of time to do what I wanted to do. So I wanted to travel, but I also wanted to kind of see my kids grow up a little bit too, because they were getting into school and getting into activities. And I was finding with my sales schedule so often I was missing games and practices and plays and just different things that they were involved in. So I wanted to be, I wanted something flexible and I wanted to work for myself. I've got this fierce, probably fostered, cultivated by the book field, but I've got this fierce independent streak of doing my own thing. And I knew I could sell. And so I started investigating other things that I could do from home. So way long before the last five years, when everybody started working from home, I was looking at, into this in the early 2000s and trying to figure out what I could do. Well, I discovered this idea of copywriting online and I took some courses, went to some conferences, studied under some mentors and really learned the craft of copywriting. For those who don't know, it's essentially selling in print. So as a writer, we write things like emails and landing pages and promotions for companies and anything you see out there in the creative world, billboards in New York Times Square, whatever, that was all done by a copywriter. Well, this idea intrigued me because I'm like, well, I know sales. I know, I understand people. I understand persuasion. And I didn't know until then that I had a knack for writing too. It turned out I'm pretty good at it, but, um, nice. but more than anything, it was something that I could do from home. It was flexible. I could do it in Ecuador, where I ended up spending a lot of time over the next five, 10 years. Um, we could take trips to Nigeria to see my wife's family and all these things that I could not do while I had a traditional sales job. So I transitioned into this world of copywriting. I've been doing it full time for 15 years now. Wow. And it's been a good ride. And along with that, then from being a, a copywriter for small businesses, I started coaching other writers. Not so much on the craft of writing, but on how to sell themselves <laughs> and how to get clients. Because it's one thing to learn the art of writing or copywriting, but it's a whole other thing to 
figure out how to go get clients and sell yourself and your ideas. And obviously, you know, yeah. you know we're, we, we have that foundation and I didn't always, I guess I just kind of took it for granted along the way that everybody had those skills and they don't. So I'm working with people anywhere from now writers, freelancers, anywhere from 19, 20 years old. I've got a couple of young guys that I'm working with. And I've got people that are in their 70s and everything in between, mostly people in middle age, mid-career, changing careers. But I'm not teaching them how to write. I'm teaching them, hey, how do you build a business? How do you position yourself? How do you have a good client conversation? How do you sell yourself? How do you sell yeah. your ideas? And now more than ever with AI out there taking over a lot of <laughs> writers' yeah. positions, we're kind of making, I've been making this shift the last few years to advising. So I consider myself not even so much of a writer anymore, um, but more of a business advisor. So I'm helping small businesses and individuals with just figuring out how to, as you put it in the introduction, um, how to kind of navigate uncharted waters and find a clear path forward. So yeah. it, it's, a, it's a form of coaching, but it's business coaching. It's, it's helping people figure out how to really how to find their place in the world and how to stand out in a very, very, noisy, crowded world where it's getting harder to stand out because everybody's got access to the internet and everybody has access to a platform and, you know, yeah. website, podcasts, YouTube channel, everything. So you have that's to cool. do something. Yeah. So anyway, so that's where I am today. And I've got a community. I'm really big on the idea of um, kind of building communities. So I've built a, a large Facebook group of 11,000 some people and it's very active, engaged. We were one of the first copywriting groups on Facebook. And then out of that, um, about eight years ago, I started a private paid community where people could get higher level coaching, private coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching, and smaller group stuff. And we come together once a week on a Zoom call. We interact online. I host live retreats where we get together twice a year in different places. I've got one coming up in Savannah next month. Mm. So it's... um. I'm trying to replicate and I haven't, I, as much as I love what I'm doing and I have never been able to quite replicate the camaraderie that I felt when I sold books. It's hard. It yeah. is. It is. Okay. So, okay. I have so many, I have so many questions. Man. Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll pause. I'll pause here for a second. Let's. You... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hold on. So let me, let me ask you a couple. Well, first of all, first of all, that's awesome. Uh, Thanks. learn it to me if like I'm five years old. So when you, when you're talking about copywriting is in everything and in marketing and every, like mm -hmm. what would to make sure I don't, even for my sake, I'm sure I'm not the only one wondering this as I'm listening. Yeah. Um, what, 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 what is it? Just the, in, in essence, what do you mean when you say like everything that you see in marketing in Times Square, that's copywriting. How is it different than like writing, uh, uh, or the varieties of writing that you see out there like what how did you specifically find this like side of writing that you had so much passion for and why this kind of like what yeah 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 good question and so a couple examples so if you took a a print magazine like one of my favorite magazines is rob report it's this luxury magazine it's a print magazine but it's this luxury magazine that has things like rolls royce ads and rolex ads and That's things cool. like this so even, even like in there, the one page ads that somebody puts in there, or, or you take the print, I'm, I'm going talking old school now, traditional stuff, but print magazine, print version of the New York Times on Sunday, 
you got a full page ad on the New York Times on Sunday. And some of these ads are really good and people are spending gobs of money. The companies are spending gobs of money to, to put that ad in there. Well, they want it to convert. They want it to be persuasive. It can't just be an image ad like a 60 second spot in the Super Bowl, where it's the Doritos people do some funny ad and it's like, oh, that's cool. And they've got billions of dollars to spend on a, an ad. Well, this is more what I, I, I guess I would call direct response marketing, where you're directly kind of talking to a consumer and trying to get them to act based on what they see like right now. It's not just to get it in their mind and get them to think about it later. It's copywriting and direct response copywriting specifically is designed to elicit an action. So there's a call to action. So in in bookman parlance, I guess you would say it's closing the sale, you know, it's it's the closing steps, it's the process. You don't just do an you don't just establish your pour, do your introduction, do your demo, and then say, well, you know, yeah, think about it and get back to me when you want. You're you've got specific closing steps. So in this process of writing, whether it's a print ad in the New York Times or an email sequence that somebody's doing or somebody's launching something on the internet, some new course or something, or whatever it might be, they've got to get the audience's attention. They've got to grab them. They've got to keep them reading and they've got to get them to take action. It's like even anything that you've bought a Facebook ad from a Facebook ad. I've, I've spent a fair amount of money buying things from Facebook ads um, and different ads online. Well, something about that ad caught my eye and then you go to a landing page and it's like oh that that's a, that sounds interesting you know like i just got into this thing called the x3 bar it's this exercise bar i would have never found out about it if i hadn't seen the facebook ad and it was really good and this guy's like a, a fantastic marketer and he's he, whoever he's got writing for him is does a fantastic job and it like sold me on this thing and it's not cheap but i'm like but that's, so that's, I'm kind of going all over the place, but that's, so yeah, copywriters write to persuade, to persuade people to do things. So it's what we, in, in, in the business, we call it selling in print. I love that. Okay. That's good. Cause there's also like copywriting for like, like, uh. Uh, books and stuff like that's different yeah than... so two two kind of separate things yeah. and because it's the same sounding word it's people get them mixed up copywriting w-r-i-t-i-n-g versus copywriting which is like getting I, your yeah. getting the copyright intellectual property hey don't yeah. steal don't steal my stuff that's cop that's having a copyright on your intellectual property yeah. two separate things but um yeah so copywriting is really not a term that people outside of the industry use so I just typically say marketing, marketing messages. I write so, marketing messages, you know? Okay. So tangential question. And then I'm gonna, and then I have to ask you about AI because you dropped that on me. I'm like, I know I've been thinking about this, how crazy AI can get. And the writer strike is in tangent to that as well. Cause it's kind of the same mm -hmm. idea of like, how do we prevent AI from taking over people's jobs when they're, right. that's kind of, right. anyway. Okay. But hold on. In your opinion, in your opinion, in the last 10 years, what are your favorite copyright or sales marketing tool or, uh, that you've seen that you're like, wow, that was really, like you mentioned the, the X bar guy, the, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah. But, but are there any maybe familiar, it could be really popular, right? Or it could be something more where like you saw and you're like, that is a great ad or that is a great marketing campaign that you yeah. like, wow, hats off. Yeah. Well, well business. Yeah. Well, one, one that I really like is a, there's a company called international living. 
and they're they're all over online. They they spend lots of money on ads online. But International Living, they also have a print publication, but most of their stuff is online. But they focus on helping retirees find a cheaper place to live than the United States. And so they talk about, oh. hey, you know, hey, you could live in Ecuador for less than you could live in the United States, that kind of thing. So their their tar- their target audience is people who are close to retirement or already retired, who want to stretch their dollars who want to get out of the United States, make their money go further, that kind of thing. Well, anyways, they they have a classic in the business. They have a classic letter that a promotion that they've used online over and over for probably 15 years now, maybe longer, that just paints a picture of what life could be in this more idyllic spot that is not the United States being run with run over with all the problems that we have, you know, no matter who's in charge, you know, um, just yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so I discovered, so this international living is a classic example of like, wow, that is their opening promotion, how they paint the picture, how they draw you in, how they get you thinking, wow, your life could be better if, you know, just kind of think outside the box here, think outside the, the walls of our country. I, I used to joke an aside here, I used to joke that that border wall wasn't to keep other people out. It was to keep us in. (laughs) Especially with the way airlines are failing every day. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, but, but there's a lot of, lots of examples, but yeah, that's, so I kind of, I got enamored with Andres. I got enamored with this idea of copywriting. I'm like, wow. So cool. Like, and I, early on, I, um, I, I got involved with some companies and wrote some cool campaigns. One of the first big companies that I did some work with was a company called Proactive, which you probably don't know, but it's for teenagers. It's like acne medication. So their skin, their skin medication. Yeah, yeah. Yes, skin stuff. So big company, and I did some work with them and helped them figure out like how they could reposition what they were doing and not just talk to the teenagers because they're they're not the ones that are always buying it, but their moms are and their dads are. Actually, we found out that. 95% of the time it was the moms buying it for their kids, not the dads and all this stuff. So we started repositioning like all their messaging and all their marketing. This is about around 2010, early in my career. Um, but because of that, they have, they are still a major player, not, well, not, not because of me, but, um, sure. but it helped them kind of re it kind of helped them shift their marketing and find new audiences and new places to put their marketing messages and starting to do more stuff on Facebook. And they started doing stuff in malls and all, all this stuff that they weren't doing before. And it was, it was kind of fun, but anyways, I got enamored with this whole idea. I'm like, well, one, I'm, cool. I, 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 I kind of like marketing and selling, you know, and I, um, and I found out that I was pretty good at it. Now it took a number of years of really training and getting better at it, practicing and practicing on some clients, but, um, but it pays well when you're good at it and you're good at this art of just, as you know, when you're good at the art of selling, you can make a very good living. Well, when you're good at the art of copywriting, which is essentially selling in print and having that sales background was phenomenal. A lot of people don't coming into it. Um, marrying those two things, my sales background, a knack for writing and just understanding people more than anything and why they do the things they do. And that's the part I find fascinating, not the actual writing, but I find it fascinating 
just trying to figure out like what makes people tick like why do they yeah. do the things they do you know well because it's it's a very specific kind of you have to be it's like a sign of um cleverness right because you you have to have i don't even know like for example the and this is not the same thing but there's like certain slogans or certain campaigns, whether you see them on TV or in writing, like in, yeah. on the billboard that you're like, wow, that's so smart. Like I don't, that product isn't even for me, but I want to just buy it because that was such an interesting and, and well-placed, you know, thought idea. Yeah. Uh, phrase. Yeah. Right. Um, the, the one that struck me the most recently was uh, uh, the best or nothing is what Mercedes is going with their, their current like campaign. But oh. I just like, they just put like when we, create something blah 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 the best or nothing and in my head i'm like you could it's like you could just put that on a billboard and it looks cool like it just yeah. you know, or like just put a nice little yeah. bands the best or nothing and you're like yeah wow that's just you know or whatever so yeah. like to, to you uh, what what are some of the components of a good uh ad like if let's say we're going to do a billboard and you're and you're coaching me i say hey look i want to do something for this podcast or mm. i want to do something for this you know uh LaCroix. I don't necessarily, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not specifically asking for exactly what you would say, but yeah, yeah. like for there to be, you know, I could tell you for a podcast, what are some of the things, both technical and not technical right. that you need to be able to have a good podcast? I hope. Right. Right. <laughs> but yeah. in your mind, with your experience, when you, when you're trying to put together something like that, what, what are the components, right? What are, what are the 30 demos or what are the, yeah, yeah. you know, rapport oh, building activities yeah a lot of it in our businesses and you've got kind of two sides of things you've got the very creative ads that are like what you're talking about mercedes the the super bowl ads the tough stuff right. on billboards and times square madison what we call madison avenue creative agency big agency stuff and then you've got stuff that we see all the time like some guy that puts up a facebook ad or whatever you know that's not mercedes-benz or big company but the the, the process is similar very similar for all of it a lot of it in our business is really just doing some deep thinking. It's doing some research, first of all, to find out, okay, what what else is out there? What's the history of what they've been doing? What are the trends? Like so where, where, yeah, kind of pre-approach kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's actually, you, you, there's, it's funny. There are a lot of similarities, a lot of comparisons. Um, but yeah, you're, you're kind of digging into, okay, well, what have they done? What's been working in the past? What, what's shifting? Like what's shifting? And this is where you have to be kind of knowledgeable about the culture as a whole and be well-read even outside your focused niche. Um, you have to kind of know like, what's, what's the zeitgeist? What's going on in the world today? What's, what are people thinking? What are, what's the trends? Like what's changing people's behavior? Why are they buying different? Why, why do 50 per, why is Starbucks 50% of their business now drive-through and 25% mobile and only 25% walk-in, which is like flipped from what it was 10 years ago. Why are these things all happening? And why are people disgruntled? Why are people frustrated? Why are people, what are they hoping for? So you're really kind of digging into like psychographics, like why are, why do people do, you see, so you're researching hard stuff like trends and economic indicators and financial stuff and competitors, but you're also thinking a lot about very deeply about like, why, why are people doing this? So I, <laughs> I, I tell people, I spend a lot of time just observe a lot of my job is like just observing people either online or sometimes in person, like, you know, hanging out at a coffee shop and watching people like, and 
eavesdropping on conversations. It it really is psychology. It's really trying to figure out like, why are people doing, this is the essence of it, I think. Why do people do the things they do? And how can we get them to, how can we tap into that to get them to buy our stuff? I mean, that's, yeah. It sounds like well, pure capitalism. Like how do how do we get people to buy our stuff? But but it, but it but really it is. I mean, it has to be a little in in a lot of it is. by nature. It has to be because people yeah. got to buy stuff. You know. It's, yeah, gotta, and it's, and they're, I they're going to spend and, that money somewhere. Kind of like in selling, you know, years ago on some old cassette tape from Zig Ziglar many years ago, he said, you know, about salespeople, he said, you know, we're the engines that drive the economy. You know, if it wasn't for us, things wouldn't happen. You know, nothing happens till you make a sale. The answer is on the next door, all this stuff, you know, but it's true. And salespeople keep the wheels of industry turning. Well, in a sense, copywriters and marketers do the same thing and do that online now. So we're, I feel like I'm, In, in my own little corner of the world, not I'm not going to single-handedly like change the economy, but in my own little corner of the world, I'm doing my part to keep the economy humming along as best. Yeah. I can, you know? no, and that makes sense. No, 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 you tapped on something earlier and I wanted to revisit this. So earlier you were saying, because you're coaching people, not specifically on the copywriting, but on the how to sell themselves, which is an interesting uh, dichotomy, I guess, to, to, to like or juxtaposition of a person who's good at copywriting, who's got the product itself down, but then can't figure out how to apply that f- to themselves so that their business is solid. like the product is solid, but you're teaching people outside of the product. Here's how you run a business. Here's how you become more marketable. Yeah. But it's, so it's interesting that they wouldn't like naturally know how to do that. So can you talk a little bit about like why, why do you think that is and how, how it ends up that yeah, that can happen? <laughs> yeah. I, I know Andres, that sounds strange, doesn't it? It's like, that's your business. Your business is selling stuff. How come you can't sell yourself? Well, the problem is, is that a lot of people that one, they don't have a direct sales background. And to me, the best, the very best training for this, for what I do now was, and I'm not just saying this because it happened and I'm talking to your, to your audience here, but the very best training for what I do now is the fact that I sold books door to door for six summers. And I learned how to communicate. I learned how to sell myself. I learned how to sell my ideas more than I learned how to sell books. I learned how to sell myself and people just, it's just weird. I mean, you can take, you can take a course, you can hire, you know, someone, you can go to a mastermind, you can go to a conference, learn all these things about writing and writing how to, how to write persuasively. But it's still, it's another separate learned skill to figure out how to sell yourself and some people feel more comfortable and i this this business attracts a lot of versus selling this business attracts a lot of introverts who think that oh all i got to do is sit behind my screen tap away on my keyboard come up with some magical words and phrases and cool stuff and i don't have to interact with anybody and i don't have to Mm. well that's a mistake as people find out once they get in, it's like, well, the stuff's not just going to land in your lap. You have to make things happen. You know, if, if you don't get out there and sell somehow, either inbound or outbound marketing, whatever, even if it's inbound stuff, somebody lands on your website, somehow they find you or you come up in the search engines and they find you. Well, guess what? You got to have a conversation with them. No one's going to drop a few thousand dollars because you got a cool website you still have to have a conversation. So these are separate skills. 
and there's a lot more people teaching the skill of writing and selling this is the problem selling the dream of oh you can make a lot of money doing this then there are people like me selling the idea that um okay that's fine but now you got to figure out how to sell and you got to sell yourself and you got to have good clients so the two don't go hand in hand and also i guess just people i, I hope this is kind of answering your question but also yes. <laughs> but also um people are too close to their own deal to see what they need to do. And I, I, this is true of all of us, whatever we're doing, which is why therapists exist and why all kinds of coaches, co coaches exist, you know, because somebody could look at me and say, well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just in my own world. I'm in my own bubble. I'm doing my own thing. I think I'm doing well. I'm, I know I could be doing better, but if I were to hire a top notch business coach myself, and I have in the past, they would say, Steve, why are you doing this? Or what about this? Have you ever thought about doing this? I'll be like, hmm, no, I actually haven't. What do you mean? And so this is what I do for people. I see things that they don't see in themselves. Part of it's encouragement and just encouraging people. Look, I see something in you that you don't see in yourself. And I think you've got a skill and I think you've got talent and drive. And if you were to just do these one or two small things, I think that would make a world of difference. So it's somewhat, some of it's encouraging, just kind of, you know, being inspiring and encouraging, but some of it is just seeing things that they're too close to see themselves and they just kind of got to get out of their own way. And maybe it takes somebody else like me from the outside, an outside objective observer saying, Hey, I'm seeing the whole picture. I'm seeing where you are. I'm seeing what your peers are doing. I'm seeing what, where things are going. I'm, I'm, I, think this is what you need to do. And a lot of times what I do is I kind of tell people what not to be doing and to stop doing this. Like yes. they, you know, avoid mistakes or something. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. It's like, stop. Don't do that. I know that worked for people a few years ago, but don't do that anymore. That's not working. And so <laughs> it's helping people just, and sometimes it's helping people. And this is, a, these are hard conversations to have, but, um, and, and, and I'm telling, I'll come back to this maybe later, but some of these skills, what I'm talking about here, Andres, come not, they come from the book field, but they came not from knocking on doors 80 hours a week. They came from the skills that I developed as a student manager and as an organizational leader, having personal conferences with people one-on-one -on, -one on yeah. Sundays, yeah. you know? And it's funny because even still to this day, I don't know how it was when you were selling, but to this day, like sometimes these are lessons that even Southwestern needs to learn. You know what I'm saying? Things where it's like, Hey, how do you move with the times? How is it 2023 <laughs> and your flagship product is still books? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> just maybe move faster. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not to be critical. I'm just saying like it, it, it when you say it applies to everybody it, from the top down, right. it applies to everybody. Oh, and and totally, totally. it's hard yeah. It's hard, right? It's hard to, the reason we need that is because it's hard to relinquish an idea. Um, you know, when Facebook started, it was supposed to be just like a kind of like a yearbook thing where students mm -hmm. at Harvard could use to identify each other. And Mark Zuckerberg really wanted to see if like people were in relationships or not. Like that was like the, yeah, according to the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. But I've like, but now it's a marketing machine, right? It's really what it is. So, so mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. the, the, you you start you start you start chipping away at this marble and you start seeing a hand and you think you're you know you're uh, 
carving out an arm, but it's in a full, you don't see the full picture of a human, right? You know, you don't see the whole yeah. David. You just thought it was a nice foot. You know, like, yeah. Hey, but, yeah. That's so a great analogy. Yeah. More to it than just what you're seeing. And sometimes it takes someone else to be like, Hey, you don't see this, but from out here, you could have all this. And it's, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to let go of that hand or of that initial chisel. Cause you, you found success in something. And just because it's been working, you know, feel yeah. like you don't need to. And then it's like, Hey, you do. So I appreciate that insight. That's really, really good. That's really good. At, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Advice all around. Not just in the copyright world, but. Yeah. And, and along those lines too, just one last thing on that note is just, I think people, and I, I, I have had this problem ever since Southwestern, because what were we drilled into us every, every year at, you know, in sales training every year, you know, on the book field, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. Yeah. And so I have sometimes in my life, and, and I think this is true of people that really want to make something work. I have at times in my life hung on to things that I was doing for too long because there's this little voice in, in my head saying, don't quit, don't quit, you know? Yeah. And so, but sometimes, you know, it's just, we got to recognize, Hey, is this the best use of my time and skills? And is this really what I'm good at? You know, and there's been times where I've just had to come to the acceptance that, you know what, maybe that isn't my thing. Yeah. I'd like to be like, Joe over here and have his job and do his thing, but I'm not really that guy. I, that's not me. I'm, that would not be a good fit. And I've either turned things down or sometimes got into things and then quickly left because it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. That, that isn't me as much as I want the lifestyle or the, 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 whatever the prestige of that position and what that job would bring. I don't think it's a good fit and I don't think I would be happy. So we have to write. So that's another role that I play sometimes in helping people is helping people figure out like really almost like, I don't know if there's even positions like this, you know, but almost like a career advisor, or if, if you had actually like good guidance counselors back in high school, most of them weren't, but if you, but somebody that could guide somebody like, Hey, I see this in you, or I think you should do this or or even just, you know, even my, my sales manager, JT Olson did this for me when I was in college, aside from the book selling stuff, he's like, Steve, are you really going to be happy? Like pursuing this path of engineering that just doesn't seem right for you. And, you know, and he's like, why don't you take an acting class or take a public speaking class and keep going with the sales? I think you'd be good at it. You know, and I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. You know, so it takes sometimes you know, other people telling us these things. Yeah. You know how I learned that lesson? I actually learned it through this podcast because um, now I'm being super reflective, so I apologize. No, that's fine. That's <laughs> no, fine. It's, it's it's like I I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but I I always was confused when I would um I'd be working for other companies and people's mentality was like, oh, we can solve that. That's not a that's not a that's not a problem. That's a challenge. Like they, we can like the the. And in my head, I'm like, no, that's a problem. This is a problem. <laughs> to you, it's a challenge, but this is a problem. Mm, yeah. And I never understood how they could just see it as a challenge. Like, I'm like, mm. you're not. But then I started doing the podcast. And as we were growing and facing challenges, not once has anything that we've done here, like as far as like the production and bring up, has it seemed like a problem? It has seemed like a challenge. Hmm. And I got that. I'm like, oh, you know what it is? Is you have stumbled at least until it starts that way. If, if it ever, if it ever at some point doing the show starts bringing problems, 
like for you, it was mm-hmm. like the problem was being at your kid's play when you were at, at Great American, right? right? That, right. that wasn't yeah. a problem. It wasn't a yeah. challenge, right? right. You, you had to be at this thing that you means that you missed the game or you missed the yep. play, or you missed the yep. recital, which is a problem for your yeah. parenting, right? So yeah. that's it. I'm not saying things don't change or that it won't change on podcasts. I'm just saying like so far, everything that was a challenge is has been precisely that. But the minute it starts becoming problems, I, I have to be aware and recognize, hold on a sec. This is just, these used to be a lot easier or it was yeah. a lot easier to deal with. And maybe yeah. this is a sign. It doesn't mean it is, but finally, but maybe it's the first red flag of like, mm. maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing anymore. And so far, yeah. nothing. Yeah. To me, that's yeah. like, that's, that's how it seems to be for people who like are doing the right thing is it's never a problem. It's always a challenge. And yeah, that's, 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 a, that's, that's a really good way to put it. And yeah, I have a feeling we both might get a little reflective here on this call. And <laughs> as I was telling you before we started too, this, you know, just getting ready for this mentally and thinking about these stories from the book field, I'm like, I hadn't thought about this stuff in so many years, but all of a sudden it just started flooding back. But there's so many lessons and I take it for granted some days and often for many years of my life that, and I forget like how much of this, how much of where I am right now stems from the decision when I was 19 years old, finishing my freshman year of college to to sell books door to door (laughs) in another part of the country. It was crazy. And I was not very good at it my first summer. I got pretty good at it, but I wasn't. And, but I did it. And it was just, it, it set my life on a, a course of adventure and a trajectory that I would not have had. And I would not have the things I have in life if I hadn't I mean, I'm just forever grateful for it. So yeah, I might I might get a little deep here on and <laughs> overly sentimental too, because um yeah, I just I'm forever grateful. I wouldn't well, I'll tell you the story later, but um yeah, I mean my wife was a book woman. I'm we met on the book field. So oh, really? um, okay. I was gonna yeah. ask you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um that's awesome. But yeah, we could no, I I will pause here for a second, but you know, I want to kind of let you steer yeah. this where, where yeah. do you want to go yeah okay i had a couple more questions about the copywriting stuff but thanks for sharing that because I, I often think about that too i was on this trip in europe and that came up a lot of times that um, and i actually felt really grateful that jacob and my wife both were like if you hadn't started this podcast we wouldn't be here I'm like you know if i hadn't said yes to sell books but then you can always keep going back then yeah steve, yeah, yeah. <laughs> steve me so if steve hadn't got you know but yeah. at some point along the lines, the baton is passed to you and it was your choice to go do the thing and you chose to do it. So that yeah. as much as that is on you, so is the rest of what happened, you know? And yeah. that's cool to think yep. about for sure. We'll get mm-hmm. into how you got recruited. I do want to hear about the story. Um, but before we do that, I want to hear a little bit. I had a couple more questions about copywriting and mm, I wanted sure, to talk about sure. AI and copywriting. So um, we've, we've been hearing about the strike as far as the writer strike for television and yep. people haven't heard it's because ai started kind of proving that it can be far quicker at being creative if that's even possible i don't mm-hmm. know maybe that's mm-hmm. what i say it. but the point is that it can be used as a tool which then could take away potential jobs for people who are in the creative space and, and mm-hmm. that includes very much uh copywriting that you do so is that is there like a parallel from that or a fear of that of or how can that be a weapon for good but then also for not so good in your industry yeah and it's i think very much there's similarities but it's quite a bit different than like the actor writer strike so the sure. sag after strike 
that I actually I'm I'm totally on the side of the actors and the writers and they they deserve what they get and they they deserve to be paid well. I do not like at all that studios are going to be moving toward AI generated scripts and yeah. oh my gosh, it just and and the same thing with authors too, fiction books. Yeah. And I I know a number of uh, I have a number of friends who are authors and write fiction and novel series and things like this and to think that AI could potentially like displace and wipe out all the all the authors. Now, here's the thing: I don't think that AI is at the point yet where it's going to be pumping out, you know, um, Ernest Hemingway or you know James by, Joyce. By or the somebody. time this publishes, though, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a, this we're in recording a, this day. But. In a in a couple of weeks, it will be. Yeah, but it, it it is pretty amazing what it can do. And so, yeah, there's this serious, serious. Now, I don't know about the whole acting and CGI right. images and all that stuff. I, I'm not in that world, so I won't speak to that. But in our world, yeah, I will tell you that it has turned our industry upside down in about the last 10, 12 months. Um, so this entire year, so starting in January, a lot of the people who are in my paid community started telling me quietly because everybody wants to make it seem like, oh no, I'm doing well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everybody wants to put up appearances. And but quietly behind the scenes, people started telling me, yeah, I just got laid off from my agency job, or I had this in-house remote position, but I was in-house and I got laid off. And oh man, people who are pure freelancers were like, yeah, my clients just kind of went radio silent and they're, they're they're drying up. And it really changed. And all of a sudden, clients figured out, hey. We can use Chat GPT. We can use Jasper. All these other—I mean, there's hundreds of them now. These tools to generate the kind of writing that people like I do, and it's—it's it's unnerving. It's very—it's—it's it's really and it. And the fact of the matter is, and I heard a very top top level respected writer that I that I've learned from talk about this on a podcast himself a couple of weeks ago. And he said, I think there's still going to be a place for the very elite top level copywriters. And if you're happy just doing, you know, cleanup work, like have the AI do it. And then the company hires you to just polish it and edit it. And you're not really doing real creating, but you're just, if you want that low level work, that's going to be out there too. But there's a big space in the middle that is going to get displaced by AI. And and we here's the thing: we writers are like, whoa, no one's gonna, no machine is ever gonna write as good as me. Well, the fact is, you know, I was working with a guy on some Facebook ads last last year, a couple of years ago, and before all this stuff hit, and we were, I was giving him all the, te we were testing all these different Facebook ads to see, okay, what headline's gonna work, what body copy is gonna work, all this stuff, and and then we started realizing, well. Yeah, I could spend like three hours doing that, or I could just get one of these AI tools and have that spit out the same thing. And it did. And we tested it, and then we figure out which one did the best, and that's the one you roll with. And all of a sudden, people I know that started using these tools, maybe the clients weren't using them yet, but we were, all of a sudden, we're doing the same amount of work that used to take maybe two weeks, now it takes two days. It used to take two days, now it takes two hours. It used to take two hours, now it takes two minutes. 
I mean, I'm not exaggerating at all. So, so those of us who are, are using the tool, so I use it as a tool to help me, but that's where I see my role and why I'm not worried about AI because I see my role as more of an advisor to businesses and to individuals. I'm like, okay, the writing stuff. Okay. Let's, let's just accept the fact that AI is here. It's here to stay. It's not going away. And unless you are truly, truly like a top, 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 top level copywriter or author or whatever. Yeah. I mean, AI can write some pretty yeah. good stuff. So we have to come, we have to figure out like, okay, well, what the machines aren't going to take over the world. And like, all of us are just going to be like living on universal basic income because there's no jobs. We still have to find out, like, we have to figure out like, where are we needed? Like, where is my brain? This is what I tell people all the time. Where's, where's your brain needed? Like what, let's put aside writing for a second. What are two things that you can do for a client? You can come up with ideas that they wouldn't have come up without you. And you can solve talking about problems. You can solve problems that they maybe don't know how to solve. Now, maybe the way to solve those problems is by using some tools and some te technology and some apps that are new on the scene. Yeah. Hey, ever, but they still need someone to guide them. And that's why I say what I do now is I, and it sounds kind of generic, but it's, it's, it's what I do, but in, you know, I apply it to people's individual situations, but I help people navigate uncharted waters, which there's a lot of these days and find a clear path forward in business and in life. And that's, so I, I know that's how I, I, yeah, no, I understand what you mean. It's, it, it's kind of like uh, it, what, what's going to happen is, and this is a prediction of mine. I'm not saying that this is exactly before I, 10 years later, this is not at all what happened, but I, I can see that this could happen is when AI is turning everyone into copywriters. Yeah. It's now a tool. So in the way that the calculator made it, made everyone mathematicians. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. It used to be that you would have to ask someone who knew a lot of math to divide big numbers or to calculate certain percentages of like certain things. And then the calculator came out and people were like, well, there's going to be no need for mathematicians anymore. No, it just means that the mm. things that were a lot more complicated, we now have a tool that can expedite this. Yeah. So now we can all be copywriters. But just because the machine exists to create excellent phrasing or beautiful blah 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 mm -hmm. and logos and all the stuff that yeah. ai can do does not mean that someone still has to put push you know two plus two equals for it to tell you that it's four right yeah so yeah learning how to navigate the tool is going to be the creativeness your creativity goes into that yeah now, right yeah because then after being able to do the calculator and the computer itself we were able to go to space which was a new creative thing, which, you know, does that make sense? Like before, yeah, yeah, yeah. before we could make mass calculations that fast, we, that's why that was part of the issue is we couldn't figure out these mm. problems fast enough. But then this tool came along that could expedite all of that and we just grew faster. So the creativity then became, how do we apply the tool to get to yeah. the a yeah. thing that we never even thought possible? How do we get to space yeah. with AI? Now? And, yeah. and in your world, it's just learning to use a creativity. Okay. So we can't beat it, have it join us. And then we get creative about how to use it in our favor to help it, you know, help us get ahead of the next person over. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great way to put it. And, and then along with that too, more and more, I just think we, people want to be with people like, okay, even if I could get all my answers from a machine, from AI, I still like kind of, I kind of like interacting with people and I just tell people all the time, just be the kind of person that people want to, and this is a selling thing, it's just selling yourself. But if you're interesting, 
if you have interesting, if you're an interesting person, you have interesting ideas, you're kind of an enthusiastic person that people want to be around. Um, you're going to, you're not going to have a problem finding work to do and finding people that want to pay you and finding ways to sell your own stuff. Even if nobody is employing you, you're, you're doing it with your podcast. You're, you know, so there, and and there's so many more opportunities to do that these days than ever in the, in creative spaces. So I, I think it's, it's a, it's an amazing time we live in. I'm not at all threatened by the AI and the tools and I'm going to use them as much as I can, but more and more I'm, I'm just kind of building my own and creating my own like world. Like I do these things that I'm like, I don't know if anyone's going to come along. I don't know if anyone's going to, this next book I'm going to write. I don't know if anyone's going to buy it. This retreat experience I'm putting on in Savannah, Georgia. I don't know if anyone's going to come along, but you know what? I have this idea in my head. I'm creating it. I put out some messages to sell it. Guess what? People signed up for it. They're coming. We're going to have an event. We're going to have an experience. And that's what people more and more, and I always keep coming back to this idea of community and relationships is that, okay, even in spite of all these cool tools and things we can do and our time is, we can get so much more done in the same amount of time than we used to. We still, we still want to be around people. We're human beings. We still want to hang out with other people and do cool things with other people. So if you can find cool things to do with other people and get them to pay you for whatever that is, a service, a product, they just like you. They want to be in your world somehow. And but the the challenge is then okay. Well, how <laughs> you know how? And that's why this is this is why I have a business, Andres, is because yeah. people are confused by these things. And I the fact is not that I have it all figured out either, but I'm trying to figure it out myself. But I've gotten pretty good at doing this and figuring it out. And and I like and I like having conversations with people and I like, I like figuring things out and I like helping people and I don't know up so, so far so good. And it's, I don't know. (laughs) You're you're understanding the game more. Plus your experience is valuable. Even if like AI is doing something to your world, that's unheard of or unprecedented. Right. So you, you're still able to put it this way. Everybody can figure out how to calculate like, you know, you know, the growth of a mortgage or a loan. On a calculator, right. but nobody understands the math enough to type it into the calculator, even though the calculator can totally do that, you know, pretty yeah. easily. So yeah. you're still out there yeah. like learning all of these things about the topic itself. You're still a student in the yeah. game. Yeah. You're still immersing yourself in the psychology of people right. to be able to use a tool even better. That's genius. That's a great approach. Yes. Yeah. Nice yeah. Well, thank you, Andres. And you're, <laughs> you're, you're actually, you're, you're, you're catching, I must be explaining it somewhat. Okay, because you're 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 the way you summarized it right there is perfect. Yeah, that's exactly Thanks. it. Yeah. And you're I'm 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 out here taking notes. I'm watching. <laughs> I'm listening. I can see the wheels spinning up <laughs> there, man. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Um, I'm sure we're gonna inter- intertwine with some more copyright stuff as we go along with the book stories. But I did want to rewind the clocks and ask you about your time in Southwestern. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. Yeah, especially because this is the part that. This is part of that, like, the reason we're here is because you sold yeah, books. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't sell books, you'd be like, this has been a great conversation, let's, but now we got let's, nothing. <laughs> let's actually start the podcast right now. <laughs> great introduction. 55 minutes of intro. <laughs> here we go. Okay, so let's wind the clocks back. You're sitting in Wisconsin, minding your own damn business. And someone comes up to you and says, hey, what are you doing this summer? Or I'm, I guess I'm assuming. Well, how, how, yeah, how, yeah. how did you first hear about this magical <laughs> internship? Yeah, so I, I at the University of Wisconsin Madison, great school by the way. 
Um, I, good? as a Nebraska fan, I'm going to just. Okay, you're a Cornhusker. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but had a, had a good experience there in a lot of ways, academically, socially, and business-wise with Southwestern. But yeah, end of my freshman year, I had um, so I, I grew up about an hour away. So my hometown was about an hour away. So I didn't go that far away to school, but it was the big city, Madison, the big school, you know. Yeah. And I, you know, freshman year, you go home at Thanksgiving, you go home at Christmas. I went home at spring break. So spring break, I still did not have anything lined up for the summer. And I went back home and I had worked at a restaurant in high school. And I went back and did that for a week at spring break just to make some money. And I'm like, there is no way in the world I'm coming back to Waukesha, Wisconsin to work at a restaurant this summer. No way. So I, more than anything, I just was looking for anything to get away from home and and I felt kind of, even at that age, I was 19, I felt kind of self-sufficient. I was paying for school. I'm like, I didn't want to like go back and live with my mom and dad and I have four brothers and sisters. I'm like, ah, it's going to be a crowded house again. I'm like, I just, no offense, mom and dad, if you're listening to this later, um, but you would have cramped my style, you know? Um, but so I was looking for anything to get away, but in the, in the student newspaper, in the 80s, they still had newspapers. There was two student newspapers, and one of them was called the Daily Cardinal. And I think they had a class of, I think Southwestern people had put a classified ad in the back, you know, hold summer on. work, you know. Hold, hold on. You do copyright right now. You're telling me that you got into Southwestern because you saw an <laughs> ad on the paper? Yes. So it wasn't somebody that approached me. I didn't know anybody that did it. You somebody, were destined for all of this, man. What are you... <laughs> it, was dest it was destiny. Yeah, yeah. She uh, saw an ad on the paper. I don't think I, <laughs> there might have been like two other people that we heard like saw an ad on the school paper. This and was, just, a, and then you're now in. Copyright. Well, it's it was again. I'm dating. I'm totally. I'm. I, I realize I'm totally dating myself on some of these things. And if no, we get that's into other, so funny man. If we get into other bookfield stories, I'm going to be totally dating myself. They're like, who, who's this? People would be watching. They'd be like, who's this boomer? But um, <laughs> but yeah, back back in those days. So this was 1986. You no know, freshman year. Um, they actually did that. And actually, I think for a few years there in the eighties at Wisconsin, anyways, this is how they recruited a lot of people. So they put these ads in the paper, you would call a number, leave a, leave a message. Well, my student manager, a guy named Dan Jones, apparently for like a month after, like, this was right before spring break. And for like, and I, I'd kind of forgotten that I had filled this out, you know, called or left a message. And apparently he had been trying to call me for a month, you know, this is before the days of cell phone. I don't, we didn't even have like voicemail on our phones in the dorms and stuff. So he's trying to call it's me. The one, 1980s, were beepers a thing yet? I don't even think beepers were a thing, you know, <laughs> I never had one anyways. But um, so he finally gets a hold of me. He's like, hey, we're doing these interviews at Howard Johnson's hotel on, you know, campus. And, and I thought it was like some corporate job. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll be there, you know, for sure. Well, you know, it was the it was the Southwestern interview. JT Olson was the guy running the interview. I was pretty impressed. And I did not have to think about it. I did not have to go home and ask my mom and dad. I did not have to. I'm like, yeah, where do I sign? I'm I'm in. And mainly and two things got me. One was one was the opportunity to get out of Wisconsin for sure. Um, the money, of course, was a draw. And there was, you know, this the student manager plants in the, in the audience that were like, Oh, so tell us, Troy, how much did you make last summer? You know, and that, however they, I don't know how they do it nowadays, but it was, it was a very well-oiled machine, you know, still, still that way. Some things don't yeah. ever change. 
Yeah, so it was very impressive. But more than anything, I was impressed with JT Olson. Incredibly impressed. I was a yeah. freshman, and I was impressed with the student managers who spoke and gave their little testimonial. And but what caught me is two things. I don't know if they ever use this line, but this was one of JT's things. He said, "You know, uh, U.S. News and World Report did a report that said 15% of your success in life is going to be due to technical knowledge, but 85% due to people knowledge." And I'm like, "Huh." So I was kind of thinking about that, and then I'm like, "Yeah, that makes sense." And then he, the other thing he said was. If you learn how to sell, you'll never, you'll always be employed. You'll always have have a job. You'll always be able to make really good money. And as a freshman who was debating whether I was going to continue in engineering or not, because it was harder than I thought. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. It just sounded adventurous. So <clears throat> that was that's so that's my story. And I think it was maybe four weeks later. This was toward the end of school. Um, four weeks later, I was traveling down to Nashville and getting into this. So I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. Didn't have a lot of time to prepare, but I just knew like, I'm going to do this. And my student manager even came and did a um, parent visit. Like my dad came to school one time to visit and Dan did a, like a parent meeting right there in my dorm room with him. And I think uh, most of my family, my parents, for sure. Most of my friends, my family, well, they 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 learned later. They 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 thought for sure it was a cult. But even in the beginning, they're they're like they they did not think that this was going to be a good idea. They thought I was going to be you know maybe okay, give it a shot. They were supportive, but I think they thought that I was going to come back after two weeks. But my my freshman roommate Mike was the one guy that said, "Man, that sounds." He what he had something else lined up for the summer, but he said, "Man, that sounds really cool, Steve. I think you're going to do well." And he was very supportive and thought it was the coolest thing. And that just else here outside of Southwestern that thinks this is a good idea. <laughs> huge. Huge for the program at that point. Wow. Yeah. So where did you, yeah. where did you go? So my first summer I spent in upstate New York, uh, two towns, Hornell, New York and Corning, no New York. Yeah. You sold in Hornell? Yeah. <laughs> this summer I sold in Hornell. Well, I, I, we were stationed at Hornell. We ended up living in Canisteo, which is just south. Yeah, yeah. Canisteo was like my, my, my third week of the summer I was in Canisteo. Yeah. My first summer I sold Canisteo, Wellsville. Oh, okay. There's a town down there called Whitesville. Okay, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> hit that like one. Way, way down south, uh, almost at the border of Pennsylvania. And okay. I was like the only brown man in Whitesville. I tell a story about <laughs> being the only brown man in Whitesville. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, so that's where, yeah, that was the first time I had been really oh. anywhere anywhere east of like Indiana. Uh, like so I had never been out east. So that was new to me uh, being from Wisconsin and um yeah, it was a it was an uh, experience and I sold uh, over you, man. That's so funny. That's it's great territory. Yeah, well, you didn't see a whole lot of books from my first summer. <laughs> no, I mean, I you know, I won That's the Sizzler funny. trip. I sold sixteen hundred units or something, fifteen eighty four. But um, but it had a decent first summer, and but yeah. it really it really did. I mean, it was like I mean, it was a shock to the system. It's like you know, throwing yourself into something that is just completely foreign. I wasn't a natural at it. It you know, but I was committed. I was committed to my student manager and I was committed to JT and everybody remembers that, you know, end of sales goal and I don't know how they do it now, but you know, you have a little one-on-one -on -one for 
few yeah. minutes with your sales manager. The student manager, creator. you know, yeah, 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 can, yeah. I, can I count on you? Da, 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 you know, and all this stuff. And I'm like, I took that stuff very, very seriously. And there was no way I was going to quit, even if I hadn't sold it. If, even if I hadn't made any money that summer, and for those of you watching that don't know, so but I mean, I, you know, I got a check for three thousand dollars, and you know, made whatever. Which you know, this is nineteen eighty six. I was going to say know? in eighty six, that's a and when school was cheaper and living was so much cheaper, three thousand dollars in the summer was good. Money. Yeah, yeah, that paid for half of my next year's school, and I already already had money saved up from before that, and then I continued to get better each summer after that, of course, but. Um, but anyways, it was a learning cool. experience. I, I, it was a struggle, a major struggle for me, especially the first few weeks. But, um, but I, I knew gonna, I, was, I, I knew I was going to come back at the end of the summer too, though. I was going to. Well, those are the two questions I like to ask normally. This is typical questions of the show: is tell me a little bit about your first, like about your firsts, and it, it could be as many as you can remember, or the ones that kind of stick out to you of like your first, either your first store or your first customer, first day, first week, first follow day. The, the first, I think, are always the ones that just we yeah. all relate to the most because we're all at zero. You know what I'm saying? And your, yeah. your last summer, my last summer could have been different, but the first day was probably very the same, especially in the same area. <laughs> So. Yeah, yeah. So I get my student manager drops me off. We lived at I still remember the uh, the address, Ten Rockwell Street in Hornell, New York. Oh my um, gosh! Up on, up on up on a little hill. I could I could find it today if I went back there. But well, I just talking. Remember, I'm gonna find it. I remember Ten Rockwell Street. Um, so I remember my Dan dropping me off. He had a car. Me and my other roommate Tom were walkers, and he drops me off on one spot. Tom off on the other. And he's like, well, we'll see you tonight. Good luck, you know? And I'm like, you know, and I'm, and I know I probably looked really pathetic all day because I'm just, you know, you're walking around, going door to door. You don't know what you're doing. I think I sold a, a My Fun With Words in a cookbook that first day, you know, made eight units or something like that. Good times, man. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember, I remember going back at the end of the summer, you know, when you finally have more confidence and you finally know what you're doing and stuff and delivering books. And I remember delivering the cookbook to the first lady who I sold. And uh, she said, yeah, was that your first day? I said, yeah. She's like, I could kind of tell. <laughs> and she said, it I kind of, obvious to us. And she said, I kind of felt sorry for you. But the funny thing is, so my roommate, Tom took one half of Hornell. I took the other half. Um, yeah. I think it's right down that street there. I think it's the one, it's I'm one so of those. It's a two story house. And we lived in the like the top like the third like the third story where there's like a window and a sunlight kind of thing on this oh, house. We, oh, dang. that way, yeah. <laughs> yes, we we lived in like the attic part of it. No, down this way. Down down this street, I think. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny! It is one oh, man. man on the street down there. This is like bringing back. Uh, I didn't know you you were going to do this, Andres. Wow. I know. Some of this for people. You cried on this corner right here on a Tuesday. Yeah, that's, 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 that's probably where I sat down for half an hour eating my lunch and then, uh, yeah, wondering what the heck I was doing. Um, Sorry to derail you with this. I just had to throw it up there. So, okay, go ahead. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. Anyways, um, so, yeah, after one week, we both come back and report to our student manager, Dan. We're like, well, you know where next? Where to next? He's like, what are you talking about? Where to next? This is your territory for the summer. I'm like, no, we're done. We, he finished his half. I finished my half. You know? 
I think ten, I don't know what the I don't know what it is now, but I think at the time Hornell was maybe ten thousand people. Five, I don't know, five to ten thousand people. But we should not have finished it in one yeah. week. So, so he's the, like, Here. The, the rule of thumb was about a you would spend what is it a week per every thousand or something okay. like that. Okay. Was the yeah. So yeah, yeah. You, there's no way. <laughs> so so anyways, he's like, here's what we're gonna do next Monday on Monday. Steve, you're going to, you're going to work Tom's territory. He's going to work yours. You're going to switch because you guys didn't sell a whole lot of books. You didn't get a lot done and we're going to re we're going to work this tighter. And so we did. And so just to tell you, my first, my first week was 84 units. And then I actually went down my second week. It was 79 units. Um, so I didn't even hit that 80 benchmark, but, um, anyways, so Tom comes back after the first night or two, he's like, yeah, a lot of people have been saying they saw you out kind of walking around, but you weren't really doing anything. <laughs> it looked like you were lost. <laughs> so, you know, obviously I didn't know what I was doing, but but the turnaround came on Monday of my third week. I got to work with a student manager, so I didn't really work with anybody those first two weeks. Wow. Um, Usually you're all like the first couple of days. Yeah, that's, I didn't. Brutal. I didn't really do that. So... Third, third week, Monday, I go to another town and work with a guy who's still one of my great friends today, Jack Leepak. And I got to work with Jack for the day and he was a second year guy and he had done fairly well his first year. And he was just, he was, he was a, just a very charismatic guy. And I watched him work for a day and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is how I'm like, okay, now I see what I was doing wrong. <clears throat> and so in five days of my third week, I doubled what I did my first week. So I had a hundred, I, I, these numbers are still in my head. I had 168 units my third week in five days. And then from that point on, you know, the summer was pretty good. And I hit 200 units a few times and never got into the threes and fours or president's club, but, you know, stumbled and bumbled my way to the Sizzler trip. And it was a good experience. And that, that was... That was my first summer. So where was your breakfast spot? <laughs> I wonder if it's the same place. We I don't know the name of it, but I'm totally dating myself now too. People are gonna be like, what? So we found this breakfast place somewhere downtown Hornell. It was a little diner, greasy spoon kind of place, typical. But they had a they had a dollar special. <laughs> so you could get you could and we were so cheap that I didn't even like order orange juice or coffee or anything. They had a dollar special. You got like two eggs, two pieces of toast. That was your breakfast. <clears throat> and it was, yes. a so all three of us, me and Dan and Tom, we would order the breakfast special and then we would leave a, a quarter, <laughs> a quarter tip on the table. So they made a whopping $3 and 75 cents from us every day. Look um, out. <laughs> but again, this is back in the day and old times, but, but I was a master Andres at, um, at mooching food off of people off of customers like Pete. And I don't know, again, maybe people were feeling sorry for me or this guy looks skinny. He needs to eat. Um, <clears throat> you know, and you'd bring your lunch along that kind of thing, whatever people did, whatever we did, but man, if somebody was eating a pizza or something like, you know, just, just looking over at it or something would, in, you know, bring the invitation. Hey, do you want some, do you want to eat, sit down and eat with us? I, this is the only time I got off schedule. I was just eating, eating like dinner with people. It's like, you know, People would invite me in and be like, well, we're just about to eat. Do you want to, can we fix you a plate or, you know, that kind of thing. So I, my expenses 
were really, really low that first summer. <laughs> it's not off schedule. It's low expenses. Sometimes there you, you got to make exceptions to rules with other rules. You know, yeah, There's yeah. Warm food, home cooked meal. Yeah. It's raining outside. <laughs> you don't have to buy new supplies, and you saved on dinner. That's that's yeah. that's, that's a couple of units right there. But we had we had fun, and my roommate and I. Um, so Dan was the guy, the student manager. He had a car. Tom and I both walked, but we had a blast that summer. And we actually, we rode bikes. We either walked, rode, and, and it got to the point where Dan didn't even like drop us off at places. He's like, he was doing his own thing out in the country. We were, we, it was up to us to find our next territory. Like, okay, we, you know, somehow we get to Canastillo, somehow get to Bath, New York, somehow get to Bath. all these places. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. you know, Bath too. Oh, yeah. Um, And so we got, so we rode our bikes. I was in good shape that summer. We rode our bikes and we become, became masters at hitchhiking. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if I ever told my folks all this stuff, but um, we hit, we hit, we hitchhiked everywhere. And I just didn't think anything of it. You know, I'm like, you know, it, what's going to happen to you out in upstate New York? You know, some country people are picking you up hitchhiking. What's the big deal? And it, and we always had good experience with hitchhiking. So, um, just, just serial killers out there. No problems though. <laughs> just, just Ted Bundy going, isn't, wasn't that his prime at eight years? <laughs> yeah. It went to hear on a serious note to hear that is like the biggest I think there's been like three major like changes that I don't know exactly when they happened all around, but when they went from like going backwards in time, when they switched mm. from all paper to iPads in like 2017. Okay. Yeah. That was like, it, what I mean by like major shifts in the culture of like kids today selling books will never understand setting a written bar <laughs> by mail or having paper maps like yeah, yeah. the savagery of paper maps right <laughs> but then kids like from my era will not under there was at some point they stopped hitchhiking something must oh. have happened so i don't know when they stopped hitchhiking but yeah yeah something must have happened where they were like okay no more because <laughs> now you have to call maybe it's when cell phones yeah. came out they're like all right now you get away for someone to come pick you up yeah but when yeah. I hear of people hitchhiking, I'm like, you savage, you <laughs> crazy people, just getting into oh. cars of strangers, hoping that they were going to take you where you needed to go. That's, yeah. That's yeah. brave. It was, it was kind of fun. And mostly we did it, mostly Tom and I did it together, but there were times where I hitchhiked by myself, you know? You get and, a demo uh, in there. Hey, yeah. Way, yeah. Just, you know what I'm doing? Totally. <laughs> the drive 20 minutes? Perfect. What there we I go. Stuff to say to you? exactly yeah <laughs> oh that's good stuff yeah so oh, how man. did you know you wanted to come back i mean I'm, I'm sure i can guess but i always like asking this part specifically because at some point you have to have been like oh i got there's like that there's a wave right of what did i get myself into oh this is what i get myself into okay this isn't so bad okay i'm coming back and to go from what did i get myself into to yeah I, come back is, I, is I think i journey. think I think probably third or fourth week of the summer, I already knew, even though, again, I wasn't that good at it. I, I knew that I was into, I, I just knew I was in something pretty good. And I knew I was surrounded by really sharp people. And it helped to see people like, uh, you've maybe heard this name before in the past, Frank Monzo, who one year, he was like the number two guy in the company um, back in the late eighties. But anyways, I, I saw people like him making like 
gobs of money. And I saw people like, um, Zizzy, Michelle, 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 yeah, Michelle Maloney, and yeah. this was even before Bill Zizzy, and um, yeah, because they were like in that early '90s. But Michelle yeah, was crushing the late '80s. Michelle was, I'm like, oh my goodness, now if I could get anywhere close to her realm, you know. And so I just knew that okay, I was pretty bad at this to start with. I made some decent money. I stuck with it. I just knew that I could come back and make more. And the next summer, I I grew like to 27, 84, something like that. So hit the growth award yeah. and then, you know, got up into the 4,000s a couple of summers, 4,000, some unit, you know, mid 4,000. So 45, 4,600 yeah. units. So, um, you know, I was, I was never the top, I was in top sales two years in the, in the, in the book. And I was, you know, in the next category to the other years, I think, or the other years, but in any case, I, I knew that, I knew that I could get better at it. And I also knew I didn't have a whole lot of options for the summer. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know where else I'm going to make this kind of money in, in at this time and for the summer. And, you know, like when I finally got good at it, my fourth summer, I mean, between my bonus check and my end of the year check, I mean, I made 20, 20,000 after expenses, I made $20,000. I'm like, that was pretty good money back in 1989. Now I it's not record setting stuff like the Bulgarians are doing these days, but, um, I'm have, you, have you heard about that? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's yeah. outrageous. outrageous. Yeah. I met, yeah. met most, uh, a couple of them when I was in Bulgaria. Was, we were in Bulgaria a couple of weeks ago and Peter yeah. the guy that has a record now stayed at my house a little bit and just like asking him about like, how do you go? Oh, I just do this. I'm like you. Please. Yeah. Well, I, I've met, I've met Rado. I don't know if you know Rado. Yeah, I know Rado. So we, I, we, we met Rado. We went to the park when we were there. Yeah, yeah. So I had a chat. I've had a chat with him on Zoom. So we know each other. He knows a good friend of mine. Um, but anyways, I knew that I could make some good money at it. And yeah. more than anything, I just I really liked the people. I mean, I like the not not the not the customers. Not the, not 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 knocking on doors, people. But I mean, they they were nice. That was fine. But I liked the people I was working with. I liked the camaraderie, and yeah. I knew that somehow that would rub off on me. And it, and it did, you know, my student manager rubbed off on me, people like Jack Leepak and Frank Monzo and JT, you know, I, I got some of that stuff that they had. Not bad. Not bad to learn from. Not bad to be surrounded by. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And, and at that age, and you don't realize, and I didn't realize it till years later, I'm like, man, how many people get that opportunity at that age at 19, 20, 21 to be mentored. I mean, sometimes when you get out in your career and you're, if you get a good position and you have a good manager and you're mentored by a certain person, but how many people get mentored by sharp people like that at 19, 20, 21? And to have the experience that we had, that's just, and I, I didn't really realize the full extent of that at the time, but man, that's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and this is not to knock on the generation of children that are now in their college years. But I will say, just because <clears throat> I have a brother who's in college right now. So my younger brother, I recruited, so he sold these out of college and has a family and kids and stuff. But my youngest brother, he's in college. And sometimes, you know, you meet, uh, I, I, when he was a freshman, particularly when I was still in Lincoln, I'd go and see him at his dorm or go hang out with him or whatever. Mm. And you'd meet current college kids or my, I have my wife's nieces and nephews I've married into 
some of them are in college and you meet some of their friends and stuff, you're like, wow, you could use this opportunity. Like this for you, if people are still selling books and if you went and did this, it would help you stand out more than ever. Yeah. I feel like because, Oh yeah. Because of what we talked about, right? Because you're proof of it right now. There's people out in the world who are excellent copywriters who didn't get this experience. Mm -hmm. And so have no idea how to, take their really beautiful products they're pretty amazing products probably their their copywriting products right and go hey this is worth something because xyz yeah but that's it's hard and it's hard it's hard to witness because you're like oh yeah and yeah and they're more skeptical now about it you know there's less people selling books nowadays which right in a a lot of ways sucks you know yeah um so it's it's interesting how people like like you said that's a great question. How many different opportunities exist out there for kids at that age to be surrounded by those kinds of people to learn those kinds of things? Yeah, not many. It's kind of it's so much of it's in, and you know this too, but so much of it it's intangible. I mean, you could look at yeah. you know what people talk about in the, the Southwestern experience. Okay, we learned sale, selling skills, we learned persistence, we all these all these tangible things, but there's an in and I can't quite even put my finger on it, but there's an intangible factor too, that you just having gone through that experience, you just have, you have a little extra confidence and a little extra, I don't even want to call it charisma, but you have more confidence about you. You have more resilience about you. You have things that are just ingrained in you that you don't even think about because you did this really difficult thing. Yeah. There's like, um, I don't know. It's like, uh, confidence is probably the closest word. But it's this, uh, and this is probably just a synonym of confidence, synonym of confidence, but it's just this this assurance that no matter, uh, Shane Hurtig and I have talked about this a lot, he's another book guy, he goes, you know, worst, worst case scenario, I know that I can at least somewhere go pick up a backpack, yeah. put some sample books in it, and I can go make five <laughs> yeah. in the next yeah. couple of weeks. Like I can do, like if I got, but yeah. if I was, all my family left me, I'm really in a bad spot, you know. Maybe mentally you'd have a hard time. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, like you can still have that be like, I can do this. I can do this at least. And yeah. so, yeah. Um, two questions I have to ask you, and then probably some stories, but and I'm sure other stories will come out of this. But uh, how did you meet your wife? Uh, people who mm-hmm. marry book people, I always be yeah. like, tell me about that. And then two, I will ask you, tell me about this rogue 1993 summer. But whichever one makes more sense chronologically to you yeah actually they tie in so i'll tell i'll tell the ninth the the two-year gap story first so i get done selling books five summers and my fourth summer which i'll come back to at the end in the ponytails segment but um that was my best summer it was a magical summer and then my fifth summer which i fully i graduated in may and then I went out and sold books that summer. And I just fully expected that to be my last summer. And it turned out to not be such a great summer. So I, de- <laughs> this is embarrassing to say, <laughs> I decreased in units. Oh, um, no. Don't worry. It, it Don't worry, dude. My it third is- or fourth summer, I was way off schedule. My first summer, I hit like 4,000 <laughs> units, PCs, pay setter, all the accolades. I was on top of the world. But alas, I flew too, too high. And I crash landed on my third and fourth summer. So don't worry. Well, you're, you're in good we, could pro- we, we could probably talk more about that off, off stage sometime. But um, yeah, so similar thing. I, fourth summer, everything just everything I touched just turned to gold. And it was just a magical summer in a lot of ways, which I'll come back to later. But um, fifth summer, 
in part of this was I think I knew it was going to be my last summer and I was looking ahead to my career and I was done with school already and I was just ready to move on. Um, and part of it was the territory. No offense to anybody that lives in, in Kentucky or is from Kentucky. And I don't care. Yeah. I don't care what they tell you in sales school. All territory is not the same. It matters. Um, it matters. <laughs> it, listen, there's things that we've said on this podcast that have gotten irked current book kids and even alumni where they're like, you know, attitude is everything. No, it's it's, it's like 90% of it. Or when they say like, but one of the most like agreed upon within the alumni community is territory 100% matters. There yeah. is such a thing as shitty territory and there's like really good territory. It just happens. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, kids. Well, first well, that bubble, right? Yeah. And it probably, yeah, probably the current, you know, leadership in Southwestern probably doesn't like us saying this, but yeah. Oh, territory, good. Territory matters. Like yeah, Wisconsin, sure matters. Wisconsin and Michigan is better than Wisconsin, Louisiana and Mississippi. I'm sorry. No, you know, no offense. Um, but anyway, so I'm in. I'm in Kentucky. I'm in Richmond, Kentucky, which that city itself was okay, but I didn't work. There were people that lived there that worked the city and the suburbs around there. But below that, well, if you look at a map, you can just see where it is. And it's it's like kind of getting into the foothills of the Appalachians. It's it's old coal mining country that has seen its better days even back then. And it's just poor, like Jackson County, Kentucky is I think at the time it was considered like the second poorest country in the country. That was my territory. Oh. And so I went from 4,600 some units to three, I, I ended up squeaking out 3,000, but it was a it was a challenging summer. I was in OL again. So three of my summers, my third, fourth and fifth summers, I was an organizational leader as well as selling. Um, but anyway, so I was eager to get on with my career. I was I was glad to be done with the 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 that summer. Not the book experience as a whole. The whole experience was still really good, but I was eager and uh went through the Southwestern placement service, you know, interviewing different jobs and things like this. Well, um <clears throat> I tried one thing for a very short time that didn't wasn't a good fit, and I won't talk about that. But my first real job after selling books was with a company called Matthew Bender. And they were a legal publishing company based in New York City. Wow. And my ter my territory was going to be Madison, Wisconsin. And then I ended up moving up to Minneapolis for a while. But basically, what it, my, my job was to call on law offices. And this was, again, I'm dating myself. But this was back in the day when lawyers still used books, like before everything was online. And so we would sell them these series of books published by Matthew Bender. Well, it was a good job. And it was uh, made good money. Did not great at it, but fairly well. Um, but it got to a point, um, I was up in Minneapolis and things were happening within the company and they were merging divisions and this and that. Well, I was newer and this other guy in the same territory that they were merging was like, had been around for 10 or 12 years. Long story short, I lost my job, call it getting downsized, getting fired, whatever. I wasn't doing as well as the other guy and I lost my job. This was April. So I had been away from the book field all of 91, all of 92. This is now spring of 1993. So like it's April and I'm, I'm like out of a job and I'm like, oh man, this kind of sucks. And I certainly could have got any other job, you know, another sales job in Minneapolis. I could have done well, but I'm like, you know what? I said, I wonder 
I'm going to call my old buddy JT. And uh, so I called JT and I'm like, hey, explain my situation. I said, what what would you think about me coming out and selling books again this summer? I just, I needed to, to be honest, Andres, I needed to, I needed to clear my head and I needed, I was like really bummed out about this thing because I thought this was going to be a long-term thing. And I was really crushed that I essentially got fired. And um, so he's like, yeah, I'd love to. He's like, you know, the first, our, our first sales school is starting in two weeks. I'm like, yeah, um, let's do it. And so end of April, this is like middle of May, I decide to go down there. So he puts me in with some people that I had known, some people I had known before, um, but a lot of new people, of course, faces changed, you know, and, and here I am, you got to understand too, at this point now I'm 26 years old. So I'm like older than everybody else. And I didn't want to explain my situation. Like, yeah, the, every, everybody knew I had sold books, but they knew I had been away for a couple of years and I didn't want to go into detail. So I just didn't talk about it. And I think some people knew and they just knew not to ask me. And so we just didn't talk about it, but it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because it did clear my head. It got me back doing something, even though I had been away for three years, um, I got right back into it. Like those skills, they come back to you. Riding a bike. It is. And so I was in, uh, I was, my headquarters was South Bend, Indiana. And there was a little town called LaPorte, Indiana, just west of there between South Bend and Chicago. And I worked that county, whatever county it is. I don't know the name of it, but I worked the rural territory. And I picked up right where I left off my fourth summer. Skipped, kind of blocked the fifth summer out of my head blocked the last two years out of my head and some other stuff that had been going on. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to focus and just have fun with this. And there was no pressure. I'm just like, I'm just going to do it. And I picked up and I hit president's club again. I got top sales again. I had right, right at my best summer. So that my two summers, my fourth summer and my sixth summer were probably about equal around 4,600 units or something somewhere in there. Um, But I felt good about myself. And, and then um, and then I took some time in the fall because I didn't, I had some money again, cause I got a pretty decent size check and, um, had some time cause I didn't have to get a job right away. So I took that fall semester off and I went to, uh, Paris with my sister and I ran the New York city marathon that fall. And I just did, did some other, did some other fun stuff. And then I started interviewing for jobs like in December and January. And that's when I started with Great American Opportunities. So anyways, it was a good, but to come back to how I met my wife. So in sales school, (laughs) coming back after being gone for three years, um, we're in sales school first night and I get introduced to the group because some of them didn't know me. And um, I see this this woman across the room and I'm like, I don't know who she is or what her deal is, but I got to get to know her. And not, 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 I don't mean it quite like that, but she was just very intriguing. She's from Nigeria. She had a kind of exotic look. She still does. She's beautiful. And there was something about her. uh, I'll just be real here. Uh, There was just something about her eyes and her smile that just really grabbed me. And I'm like, I got to, you know, I struck you like that. My wife's same way. I was like, (laughs) Oh, so we, we talked oh. a little bit in sales school, but, you know, 
on Sunday meetings, we'd see each other, you know, and we'd talk and we got to be good friends. And, and then there was a, uh, I'll save this for the rapid fire too, if you ask it, but there was a day toward the end of the summer where she worked with me and that, and we were just really clicked. But then at the end of the summer, um, so we got to be good friends and she tells me now, I don't, I don't even remember this, but I, a number of times that summer I wrote old school again, I wrote her a letter, like a little letter and sent it in the mail to her headquarters, just encouraging her, just saying, Hey, you know, hope you're having a good week. And I think so it was kind of, you know, just the start of something, yeah. but, um, but anyways, at the end of the summer, um, so we were, we were just, it was platonic. We were completely platonic, just friends. And, um, but at the end of the summer, we decided to go back. We each had a car, but we decided to caravan to Nashville together to check out. So we get to Nashville and we're like, neither one of us is in a hurry to check out or get back to home or anything. And I'm like, Hey, what would you think about? Like, let's just come back and do checkout later. Let's go to, let's go to Graceland. So we went, we road trip to Memphis together. Memphis, so we, yeah. we kept her car. At, I think we kept it in the parking lot at Southwestern. Um, but we kept her car there and uh, we drove to Memphis together and hung out doing all the, Graceland, Beale Street, all this stuff in Memphis. Everybody should make, every American should make a pilgrimage to Graceland, by the way. Um, but we we just really connected and hit it off. And then we went to see my aunt and uncle in Alabama. And then we went to see a friend of mine in Atlanta, did just did kind of this big circle. Wow. And then we, we came back to Nashville like a week later and finally checked out and and then drove back. She was from she went, she had gone to the university of Illinois, but she was just finishing school, grad school. I had been out of school for a few years, but she had a job waiting for her in Chicago. I had a job while well, I was thinking of having, you know, I was going to be um, interviewing in Madison, Wisconsin, but my family was there and I wanted to go back to Wisconsin. She wanted to go back to Chicago and we went our separate ways. We actually lost touch for four years and what? Four, yeah. It's so like we didn't, yeah, I know. And we, we both had different situations going on, rela other relationships and things like this. So I won't go into all the detail there either. But um, four years later, out of the blue, she calls me and I'm um, like, oh, I mean, it was just like, it, it's like, it was like the happiest day of my life. August 28th, 1997. She I was called say, this me. is 97. I can yeah, feel so it. This is, <laughs> yeah, so this is 1997. So this is 26 years ago now. And um she called me and said, Hey, what are you doing? And this and that. And she came up to Madison and we started dating. And six months later we got engaged and a month later we got married. So, nice. um, yeah, Look so it was you. a whirlwind, whirlwind courtship and marriage and stuff. And we've been married. It'll be 26 years in next April. So it's been 25 and a half years. So April of 98, 98. Yep. Yep. 98 crazy year. Wow. Yeah. So, so yeah, so it was a good thing. And, and the interesting, so if I hadn't, um, you know, just, you know, you, you trace things backwards and connect the dots backwards. It's like, well, okay. If one, if I hadn't sold books in the first place and if she hadn't, but if, uh, if I hadn't lost my job in Minneapolis, if I hadn't called JT, if I hadn't decided to do this crazy selling books things again at age 26, and by the way, she was the same age because she was in grad school. She had come here. She had gone to college in Nigeria. Then she came to grad school here. So she did this for three summers, 91, 92, 93, while she was finishing, while she was in grad school. And she wasn't going to come back for her last summer because she's like, I'm, 
she's she's an artist. She's got her master's in fine arts. She didn't need to. She didn't want to. You know, you know, she didn't need to sell books again. And sure. she just, you know, and she just wanted to get on with her career. And but she decided at the last minute to 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 do this to to sell books. Like really at the last minute, like her student manager didn't even know she was coming to Nashville, and she just showed up. And so, <laughs> so if those things hadn't happened and, you know, she hadn't caught my eye and all this stuff. So anyways, so yeah. It all so, fell into place. It all works out. It is. It is. Yeah. That's so. awesome. <laughs> I love that. Well, if she ever wants to be on the show, she's always welcome. Well, any, any book person. She, she knows I'm, do, she knows I'm doing it today. So she'll watch and she'll see what the experience is. And yeah, Sounds I've told good. her about it. So. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> oh man. Um, let me, let me run through some rapid fires and that, this yeah, will bring yeah. out some stories and then, uh, yeah, yeah. and then the ponytail. The, the, yeah. Yeah. You believe we've been on for an hour and a half. I honestly, sometimes I look up and I'm like, dude, wow, this goes so fast. I feel like it's, it does. It does. Years. Yeah. Yeah. It just goes quick. It goes quick. Um, okay, so rapid fire questions. As you guys know, these are brought to you uh, by Will Metro. Thanks, Will. We love you. Um, go check out his coaching business. Um, he's gonna laugh when he hears that. Okay, uh, number one, uh, Steve, favorite territory that you sold in? Why was it not Kentucky? Yeah, not not <laughs> not Kentucky. Uh, sorry, Kentucky. Uh, Vermont. Vermont was my absolute best. Oh favorite territory. It was beautiful. Yes. I had never been to Vermont before. It's it's like my favorite state for a lot of reasons, but part of it is because I had a good summer there. But yeah, my fourth summer I was in Vermont and um, it was Same. just um, Where magical. Uh, our headquarters was Rutland and I worked south from there. So south down Rutland. Highway 7. Okay. Yeah, down more... toward like our, our, down toward like Manchester, Dorset, Arlington, yeah. uh, a couple other little towns. We lived in Wilkesbury, and then we went. I went the other way. So, yeah, oh, okay. beautiful. It is beautiful, though. No doubt. Yeah, yeah. Um, favorite kind of turf? Country, big brick, um, low income, high income. Yeah, I liked kind of middle to middle, upper middle class country. Yes. Um, that is, you know, business right there. Yeah, because well, first of all, I like rural more than city because it's easier. It's just easier knocking. You know, they don't get. You know, you don't get doors slammed on you as much and Cops stuff. It's just, on you. Yep. yeah. Um, so, but in middle to middle, up upper middle, because uh, you know they've got money and uh, <laughs> yeah, they have money, but they're not too big brick y. Yeah, so yeah, middle enough that they care yeah. about education. Not yeah. that not that low income and high income families don't care about education, but mixed yeah. in with the fact that they have money, they yeah. do. There, there's like a part of their they're like self made middle class usually. Or they're right. like, mom's got a right. good job or dad's got a good job. And then the other one has a separate job and it works. But they're still like, yeah, yeah go to school. It's important. So, yeah, come talk to me about education. Yeah, but, yeah. I know. always always connected well with those people. Yeah. I'm just, um, yeah, so that was definitely my favorite kind of territory. Okay. Amen to that. <laughs> favorite advanced sales? If you if you listen to advanced sales. Oh, you're talking about advanced sales training yeah, stuff? Like the CD that you would pop in or um, the cassettes that you would pop in. <laughs> um, to 1975 Plymouth. Yeah. Eight-track <laughs> <A> tapes. <laughs> um, there were two guys that I really liked listening to. Um, Fred Prevost, if you yes. know that name. So he was a very, very intense guy. Like, very like kind of like military like and very very just serious and just but he had a really great sales uh, training um it was it was a cassette tape um 
that I liked. And then Dave Kowser had another one. Um, really? Yeah, Dave Kowser had another one. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, Kowser. Yeah, um, Kowser. He's the president now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he had one, and I just love the just i don't know i loved his voice inflection he would get like really really excited about stuff and, <laughs> and uh he had this one about telling the story about you know the, when the rocket takes off it's not going five thousand miles an hour but when it gets up there you know and i don't know just all kinds of cool stories and stuff but it just i think i just liked listening to his voice but but all of them good solid like sales stuff you know love so, that yeah um favorite hq um not just because of the territory, but Vermont also, it was this older guy, Chet. He was like 75 at the time. Very distinguished guy. Nice house. It was a nice house that we lived in. Um, but the interesting thing is, and we got to be good friends with him, the three of us. And it was a good time for him because he had just lost his wife like a month or two before we showed up oh. on his door. And he told us many times that summer that you guys like saved me. And this was like a really good thing this summer. So, um, and then we, we kept in touch with him for many years after that. In fact, he came to Madison, he traveled from Vermont to Madison to see me and my other, my room, my two roommates, and we'd go out to breakfast and stuff and he'd stay for a few nights in a hotel and then he'd go back to Vermont, but we kept in touch with him. In fact, I, I stayed in touch with him for many years until he passed away. So that was, that was a really special, um, yeah, you got a really special H headquarters yeah i still keep in touch with some of my hq folks mm, it's that's cool. cool yeah i love that um it, this one's uh if, if it applies to you um most famous person you met um well, you were not i was trying i was racking my brain trying to think if i've ever met anybody famous and i don't think i did but my last summer on the book field um i sold books to oprah winfrey's next door neighbor so oh, at the time in the early 90s, Oprah had, besides living on the Gold Coast in Chicago and wherever she lived, she had a place in a, in a town called Rolling Prairie, Indiana, which is right near, it was in my territory. And she would come out there. She had a helicopter landing pad and she would fly out on the weekends and stuff. Really, really nice spread. I, I didn't go get to go right up to the house because there was a gate, but you could see the house from the road and stuff. But I got to know her neighbors and I sold books to one of her next door neighbors and they're like, Oh yeah, she, she jogs on the road here. And so I was always like wild. <laughs> every, every opportunity I got, I was like circling back to that part of the territory. Cause I'm like, I want to see Oprah on the road, you know, cause I would have stopped. I would have stopped and talked to her, you know, cause yeah. you know, she buys she books, a... <laughs> puts it at her club. If she has a oh, club yet, imagine. Can you, can you, you imagine would have get... record? Oh, I would have had yeah, record. Five hundred thousand units. It's still but, rolling. You'd get royalties yeah, right now from that. Could, okay. could you could you imagine the shout out from Oprah? Oh man. But anyway, so that was pretty cool. But her neighbors actually knew her. They're like, oh no, she's very friendly with all of us. She's been to our house, we've been to her house. And so That's I was just I kept thinking all summer, I gotta beat Oprah. I gotta meet Oprah. <laughs> Didn't could've, happen. Could have been a good summer. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh favorite off schedule story, if you have one. We love off schedule stories. Um, yeah, I'll make the. I'll try to make this one real quick. So my second summer, first summer, the only off schedule-ness I did was like just sitting there moping for half an hour because I wasn't selling any books. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't have any fun. You know, I just wow. I I stayed. You know, you, I, you didn't have the full experience. I felt I felt guilty. You know. Um, oh, so yeah. my second my second summer, same thing. I was like 
on schedule all summer. But toward the end of the summer, I think it was the last week I had, I was living in Pottsville, Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, just, just, uh, just a little West of New Jersey. And I had an uncle at the time who worked in New York city on wall street. And, uh, I was going to go visit him. And so on this particular day that I chose last week of the summer, I drive, I set out from Pottsville, Pennsylvania to New York city unannounced, by the way, I was just going to like show up at his office on wall street. I'm like, I don't know what I was thinking, but I get halfway across New Jersey and my car breaks down. I had this little Datsun 210 and the clutch went out in New Jersey. And, uh, so I had to leave the car there talking about hitchhiking. I had to hitchhike back. So I'm, New York city was only about two and a half hours, maybe three hours from my territory. I was about halfway. So I was about an hour and a half out in rural New Jersey had to leave my car there to get the clutch fixed. And I had to hitchhike back. Well, this guy that picked me up um, didn't drive me all the way back to my headquarters, but he dropped me off in Allentown, Pennsylvania, right by this movie theater. And I'm like, and I felt so guilty, Andres. I had like never done it. Well, aside from that day, I had never done anything fun getting off schedule. So I'm like, I'm going to go see a movie. And yeah, um, La Bamba was playing Richie Valens, La Bamba, you know, the movie about Richie Valens with uh, Lou Diamond Phillips played the part. Um, that was, that was out that summer. And, uh, and so I saw La Bamba. Best movie ever saw. (laughs) What's that? It's the best movie ever saw. You sit in a cold, nice auditorium. You have a coat and popcorn. And you're and like, I'm like well, we'll see. In the I'll never, I'll never forget. It. I'm like, so this is what like normal people do in the summer. They go to see movies. Um, and then when the movie was done, I hitchhiked the rest of the way home. And a couple days later, I, my roommate took me back out to New Jersey to pick up my car. And that was it. But anyways, that was, it was a fun, it was a fun <laughs> That's time. A great story. Yeah. Also, uh, sometimes my wife will go to visit her parents for a few days. Cause um, it just makes sense for her to do that with her ma and her yeah, her family. Um, story for Bizzler. But she'll she'll she has to go and help out her dad. So she'll go visit him for a few days and hang out with her parents. And um, and I'm by myself and I haven't done this yet, but she's out of town this week. And there's like every fiber of me, I'm like, I want to go to the boobies by myself. I learned this from the book field. There is a sheer bliss. Yeah. Especially if you go at like noon, like in the middle of the day. Yeah. And there's nobody else in the theater. And it's almost like you got the theater to yourself. Maybe there's just the one other one person that is also like you. Yeah. It's a good feeling to go to the movies by yourself. If you haven't mm-hmm. tried it, highly recommend. Steve knows this feeling. I know yeah. this feeling. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's bliss. Yeah, I would recommend to everybody listening. Yeah, do it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of going to the movies by yourself. And I, yeah, I think I think that time, actually, I'm pretty sure that was the first time in my life I had ever done that, going to see La Bamba when I was off schedule. It's nice. And it's, it's a little, there's a little bit of a thrill that you're off schedule, which yeah, you can't replace yeah. nowadays, but still some about like, mm, I'm yeah. stop watching this movie. It's nice. Yeah, totally. um, okay. Three more, three more best sales day. And now this could be in units, which usually people take it to be in units, but sometimes your best sales day is not the best day in units. It was just something else that happened. So you can take, take that as, as you wish. If it is in units, totally give it to us. But if not, whatever you think is your best day in sales. Yeah, I think the best day in sales, I don't actually know how many units I sold that day, but it was the day on a Saturday afternoon that I hit President's Club for the first time. So this was my fourth summer. It took me till my fourth summer to hit President's Club. And I hit 609 that week and it happened. And I got there on 
early Saturday afternoon, and then I added to it to end up with 609. But I remember the feeling when I hit sold a volume library, whatever it was that I got to that point. But just the re the feeling of finally after like four, three and a half years of finally hitting it. And just knowing that I was just on cloud nine, you know, I mean, just knowing that I was going to get to go to the Sunday meeting the next day and finally stand up there for president's club. And as the organizational leader too, I felt like I needed to set the example. Yeah. Um, but it was just such an incredible, satisfying feeling to even, even more than the money and out of the money. And it's like, <clears throat> you know, for those of you watching that might not know, but I mean, that was like, again, it was like $2,000 in a week back in 1989. You know, that, that was a lot of money for a week's that's a worth good, of work. That's a good, um, that's a good so week. yeah. So anyway, so it was just that. And I think that kind of set me over an edge too. that this invisible mark that I just had been trying to attain, trying to attain. I felt, I finally felt like, okay, I have finally made it, you know, I mean, there's lots more to come and I've got a long way to go, but I, kind of felt like, okay, this has all been worth it. This, all this yeah, working at this, you all figured this. figured it out. Yeah. It's like I finally, yeah, it just felt one of the most seriously, aside from personal stuff um, with relationships and kids and marriage and stuff, it, probably one of the most satisfying things I've ever done in my life yeah. was that I mean, moment. You ran the New York Marathon and I can't imagine it was too different from completing that. Kind of, yeah, similar feeling when you get from those kind of things. Yeah. It's yeah. like you recognize how big this is. And even if nobody else understands, even like I call my parents and be like, I had PC. They have no idea what the heck that means. But like just yeah. for you, you're like, yeah. I did this. Yeah. Um, I think it's also because you don't accidentally do that. No. You know no. what I'm saying? You don't accidentally hit 600 units. You can accidentally mm -hmm. sell 400 units on a, like you just hit a couple mm -hmm. of good ponies at the right place at the right time. Right. But you don't accidentally hit 600 units in a week. You yeah. have to do something you did was right and yeah you hit it it's yeah awesome. and and from that point forevermore i just had a different sense of confidence about everything that i did so yeah yeah it's awesome the way it works mm -hmm. um okay favorite breakfast spot um i'll go back to my first summer <laughs> with the, my dollar special <laughs> it was like yeah dude oh, i mean you, you just i mean come on a dollar um, but but also my last summer too, we got together. We had a guy's headquarters and a girl's headquarters in South Bend, and so there was like six or seven or eight of us all the time. And we met at the same exact place every day for breakfast. And I always ate these peanut butter pancakes. So they had pancakes, and then they had, you know, you could put peanut butter on them. So pancakes with peanut butter and syrup, and every day that's what I ate that summer. Um, but it was fun. It was fun because it was a big instead of just like one headquarters, three guys. You know, we got the guys' headquarters. We got the girls' headquarters. We all kind of had fun. It was very social. Execs um, are awesome that that way. Yeah, yeah. We kind of we we had fun and let loose a little bit. So both of those were on par love, with each other. Love that. And then the last one is your best follow day. Whether you were following someone or they were following you, but the, the day where you're like, this is a fun follow day that I should. Um, I got I gotta say, so Amita, my wife, our last summer she followed me one day toward the end of the summer and nice, I, you know, and that's when things kind of clicked and, and actually that's when, actually, I think that I'll have to ask her. I think that's when we sold Oprah's next door neighbor. Now it might've happened the day before or something, but anyways, I circled her back to Oprah's house cause I wanted to show her Oprah's house, but I also had a little unorthodox um, schedule that summer. And she's like, 
what, 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 what do you do? Cause she was like very disciplined and very, but I, I, I would start at nine o'clock instead of eight o'clock and sure. I would, I would kick off it. So I kind of flipped it. I started at nine o'clock, ended at eight o'clock PM instead of starting at 8 PM and working till nine or I just, I just shortened my day all summer. Which, by the way, that, that whole summer I had my own schedule. Um, but, but anytime somebody followed me, I, I kind of had fun. I felt like I, I kind of put on a, I, I stepped it up a little bit and it felt like I was putting on a performance. So, and you want to have a good day when someone's following yeah, you. So for their sake, yeah. almost, almost always I would, because I would just step it up a notch. Your confidence goes up a notch <laughs> and you know, you just, you want to show people and, and just little things that you say, and you're just, you're just on fire all day. Even yeah. if, even if everyone's not buying, you're just like, you're putting on a show all day. And, and your self-talk uh, is better for some reason because it's almost mm -hmm. like it's for both of you. Uh, yeah. Totally. It is. Yeah. 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 I, I, I always preferred, Bill Zizzi has said this on his advanced sales day, but I, when he said that, I was like, I feel the same. Like, I, I mm -hmm. had more fun following, but I did better when I was by myself because I could focus. Mm -hmm. But it, like sometimes you need to like, he's like, I don't need to focus today. I need to have fun. Yeah. And it was good to have someone following you because like, all right, we can just. Yeah. yeah. And I like to talk to the person. Sometimes <laughs> people are like, don't talk to me all day. You're like, what? It's just like when you have someone, it's like, yeah, it, it was easier to deflect the, re the rejection as well. Some old yeah. lady tell you, blah, blah, you're like, oh, she hadn't had a breakfast or whatever. And they're like, ah, you know, it's just easier to, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that. All right, man. That concludes rapid fire questions. Okay. Thanks again. Well, oh, man. Uh, yeah. Okay. So now it comes to the time of the episode where this is, this is always my favorite part is when we get to ask our guests their ponytail. Now this could mean, uh, for people listening for the first time, this could be like a story about a customer that bought a lot of books or something crazy that happened. And we've had people who got arrested. We've had people who you know, shit themselves, <laughs> like McCraskey. Um, we've had people's crazy stories on Bizzler. Sometimes it's just like Yvette gave us like Keister. She's like, hey, these are like the top five things I learned in sales and in leadership. Mm. It was like this really cool, like, ponytail of more of like a inspiring so whatever you want to make it if it could be simple it could be long it could be, it's your call my man but this is usually the person's favorite story so i'm excited for this take it away yeah Steve. yeah this is this is one that i mean i got ton like everybody i've got tons of stories and could tell you about the time i your old territory hornell new york but i ended up in jail um there was a jail the story car, ended up in jail uh, okay I, i'll make the, i'm still going to tell my ponytail story but yeah we're driving around outside of Bath, there's a little town somewhere near Bath, New York. And, and, uh, I'm in a house and over the CB radio comes, uh, be on the lookout for two young men selling books for the Southwestern company <laughs> and the, and the lady, and she ended up buying, but she looks at me and she's like, are they talking about you? I said, yeah, I think so. <laughs> but anyways, they had already Total got, line, but yes, we didn't, we, we, this was in the days where we didn't always get permits and we didn't get a permit for this town. Cause we were only going to be there for a few days or whatever. Anyways, um, they had picked up my roommate, Tom, he's in the back of the police car. So for the next couple of hours, I'm like trying to dodge the police cars and uh, the police car with Tom in it. And a couple of times I saw them go by and I'd like duck behind a tree or stay in the house a little bit longer, whatever. And fin finally, the run, but on fin finally they get me, they just for, just for appearances and just to be tough guys, small town cops, they, they actually had us sit in the jail for about an hour. And then they're like, you know, then they, they let us out and they drove us to the edge of town. They're like, don't come back. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's not the story I wanted Love to tell. It. I don't want to end on that note. But um, 
I guess this this story I want to tell, Andres, is really just the um, in this this one summer. It's really the summer as a whole. My fourth summer when things clicked. When I hit, I already talked mm. about hitting PC for the first time. But this was in Vermont. It was a magical, an absolutely magical summer in every way. I hit the ground running. I knew what I was doing. My sales were just on all summer. I was the organizational leader. We had the, I think we had like the number three organization in the country that summer as far as student manager average and first year dealer average. So everybody was like just on fire. We were a tight knit group out of like 25 people. I think we only lost two people that summer. Um, it was, we were, so it was a small organization, but it was tight and we were all on fire, but it was just a magical summer in that everything finally came together, but more, more than the units, more than the sales, more than the money, which got spent and all this stuff. I get to Nashville and I'm sitting with JT Olson at the end of the summer. I even wrote about this in my book because it means so much to me. And I, and JT knows the story. I've thanked him, but, um, so we're sitting there by his pool in Brentwood, Tennessee, end of the summer. I checked out late because I didn't need to go back to school. I took a semester off to go to Europe. And we're sitting by the pool. It's just me and JT. I was hanging out at his house for the day. And he's like, you're talking about a couple guys in our organization. And he said, you know, Steve, they think you hung the moon. And this... <laughs> I was 22 years old and I had actually never heard that expression before. So I'm like, I didn't even know what that meant. I'm like, what do you mean, JT? They think you hung the moon. They think I hung the moon. He's like, they just think, they just think you did a world of, you had a world of impact on them this summer. And I'm like, I didn't realize that. These were two first year guys, not, not even mine, but somebody else's first year guys, but they were in the org. And he had heard everybody else from our org had already checked out. So I had checked out late and he's like, I heard a lot of comments. And, um, it was just, I was like, I didn't realize that I had that impact on people. And so it was, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Sorry. Um, but it was just, it was such a powerful thing and it was emotional then. And it's emotional to me now, whatever, how many 34 years later, but, but it, that, that made me realize that, um, that this business, and they talk about this in Southwestern all the time, it's a business of people. And we're in the people business. Yeah, we're selling. Yeah, we were selling books and stuff like that. But it was about people and it was about developing people. And I think Alan Clemens used to talk about this a lot when he was, you know, still with the company, you know, just about that we're in the business of developing people. And that's, and so from that point onward, I just realized, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do the rest of my life. I know I'm probably going to be involved in some kind of sailing cause I, selling because I like it and I'm good at it and you can make good money at it. But more than that, I just really wanted to find some way to, uh, to, to impact people and to have an influence on people. And, and to me, and from that point forward, I just really um, understood the value of really developing good relationships with people. And I, I, I'll circle it back here and just wrap up here that that's more than anything that I got from Southwestern. Yes, I learned how to sell. Yes, I learned how to present myself, sell myself, sell my ideas. I've made good money then. I've made good money since. Life's been good. Met my wife. We wouldn't have, <laughs> I wouldn't have the life I have today. 
but it's just really but developing relationships in general and that's that's what matters um that's all there is you know yeah so oh man <clears throat> anyways that's cool. so to to hear about the impact that you've had on someone else from someone like jt is a super cool experience <laughs> like i can't imagine what that must have been like that's pretty sweet yeah thank you and um you know it's cool and then and just in the camaraderie of all the the people back then and there's there's so many people i keep in touch with, especially now with facebook keeping in touch with people all over but just staying connected with people and there's friends from back then that sometimes we go and i'm sure this happens to you too but you, you go five or ten years without seeing each other talking and you pick up right where you left off yeah you exactly. know yeah. and you always and you, you always have you always have you know yeah and you always have that common bond um and that's just that's so I, I, so i guess that's the that's the uh, the other thing i took from this too besides the importance of having an impact and developing relationships is just you know some of my best friends in the world are people i sold books with people i still keep in touch with today and uh my life is richer and much better because i decided to you know answer some weird classified ad back in <laughs> Can you imagine a newspaper ad got you is the uh, funniest thing given what you do now. A classified ad, my goodness. Yeah. That's a classified ad <laughs> got the guy who ended up coaching copywriting. That is uh, Yeah. You write an ad for that. There you go, South yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. We're there writing ads for you right now. <laughs> Man, Steve, thank you so much for being on here. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, this has been great, Andres. I know that the time flew by. I didn't I didn't really we've been on for two hours. And um thank no, I mean, and I appreciate you letting me just kind of roll with answers and stuff. And yeah. uh I know we could probably, you know, if we ever meet again somewhere, we could have a lot, lot more conversations. So maybe in the next year's uh yeah. Fizzler trip. Um, uh, that's right. That's right. At Bizzler and or if we have a reunion in like Atlanta or in Savannah or something. Yeah, yeah. We do that. Um I love this. This is this is the this is the first time I've done an episode in a while because we were traveling. So mm. this is like it's nice this is a great one to come back and kind of re re, re jump back into recordings. So thank you so much for doing that and, and for, for joining yeah. us. Um guys, my name's Andre Scambo. This has been the Ponytails Podcast. If you sold books and you want to be on the show, make sure you get a hold of us, admin at theponytailspodcast.com. There's going to be a link below. There's also, uh, Steve, make sure we have this. If Amy didn't get it, our producer, she didn't get this, make sure you send it to us before we post this episode. But we, I'd like a link to the copy of your book to where we can oh, yeah. purchase yeah. it. Uh, sure. We'll put it down below in the description notes. If yep. you are in copywriting or maybe you want to get into copywriting, maybe you want to get a hold of Steve. Um, we will also have a way to contact him. You can you can either just message us and we'll put you in touch with him if Steve would be open to that, um, or we can find Absolutely. a way for you to talk with him uh, down below. Check out the show notes below. And, of course, make sure you guys follow us. Um, we are starting a new Patreon campaign, so we would love any and all support. Five bucks gets you nothing other than knowing that you're helping us out and you're feeding my dogs. Then we're doing a $15 level, which gets you some stuff. We're trying to decide what that is. Uh, and make it fun for everyone. Uh, thank you so much. Be on the lookout for more content coming through from our Euro trip and our friends that we met, in, uh, all the alumni that we met out there. That was a blast. And, uh, uh, you know, keep, uh, oh, last thing is uh, keep keep knocking. There's problem if you're listening to right now and you're on the book field, go to the next house, damn it. <laughs> on that note, we'll catch you guys later. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Andres. <laughs>